welcome to the Development Podcast from the World Bank Group in Washington, D.C. and around the globe. I'm Raka Banerjee. And I'm Paul Blake. On today's show, gender equality. We're digging into the latest edition of Women, Business, and the Law, examining laws around the world that help and hinder women's economic opportunity. Well, it is shocking to me that in 2022, we are still seeing so many discriminatory laws that hold women back from working and starting businesses. We're asking what are the main obstacles standing in the way of women's economic empowerment around the world and where progress is being made. Now, this is really a wasted opportunity, not only for women, but also for the growth of their economies and societies. All that and more over the next few minutes. But first, let's get some background on the 2022 Women, Business and the Law Report. again, you know, our yearly update from Women, Business, and the Law on how women are faring around the world. But there's so many different ways, Raka, to to understand gender equality. Can you remind me of of what we're talking about specifically here in this report? How does Women, Business, and the Law define things? What categories does the report look at in its data? What, What exactly is it sort of measuring? Great question. So in this case, uh, Women, Business, and the Law is looking at, not surprisingly, the laws and regulations that affect women's participation in the economy. So to do that, it collects data on eight categories. We're looking at mobility, the workplace, pay, marriage, parenthood, entrepreneurship, assets, and pension. And it collects that data across 190 countries every year, which is a pretty impressive overview of progress towards gender equality. I mean, this, this quite the scope, yeah. So how how are things looking this year? You know, how many countries are actually you know gotten to the point of being legally equal? You know, it, it perhaps maybe in terms of what's on the books rather than in practice, but legally equal according to the report. Uh, what's what's your guess? <laughs> uh, I, I know we did a we did an episode on this a year or two ago, and I. I can't off the top of my head remember the exact number, but I'm, I'm guessing it's somewhere like five to ten countries. You're very close. Actually, last year it was ten and this year it's twelve. So, um, you know, some some progress there a little bit. And they're all OECD countries, meaning relatively developed and wealthier. But that means that out of 190 countries being um reviewed for the report, 178 of them still have laws on the books that prevent women from participating fully in the economy. And that translates to about 2.4 billion women of working age, um, working age between 15 to 64 years, Uh, 2.4 billion women of working age around the world who lack the same legal rights as men. And globally, if we're looking at averages, the global index score for 2021 is 76.5 out of 100. So Basically, that means that women only have three quarters of the legal rights available to men on average. Okay, so so still, you know, a long way to go. Can you give me a sense of how this three quarters figure breaks down for the different categories? Absolutely. So parenthood had the lowest scores out of the eight categories on average. So only 31 out of 190 countries met all five parenthood criteria to get a score of 100. And that includes things like, you know, do countries have laws requiring 14 weeks of paid maternal leave, paid leave for fathers, and laws preventing the dismissal of pregnant workers. And the next lowest was pay. Uh, 86 countries still restrict women's work in at least one of three ways. Women either aren't legally able to work at night, 
they aren't able to work in jobs that are considered dangerous and they aren't able to work in industrial jobs. And that's legally, they're not allowed. <laughs> and only half of the countries surveyed required equal pay for equal work. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty disappointing. You know, only half. What, what What is that half of 190 is 95? countries yeah yeah have equal pay for equal work on the books that you know that has to translate to i'm assuming i'm guessing that this is possible to kind of make the comparison to like a huge difference in earning potential for women versus men around the world yeah especially you know especially when you stretch that out across the years when you're looking at you know how much women and men are earning across their lifetimes you know, the World Bank estimates that globally, the difference between women and men's lifetime earnings is a staggering $172.3 trillion. So just to give you a sense of the magnitude, that's equivalent to twice the world's GDP. I, I don't even know how to make sense yeah, of that. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to wrap <laughs> my head around that a little bit. Um, so, okay, uh, this is all a bit down in the dumps. Give me some good news. Right, right. Yes. Uh, good news. There is definitely good news. The The whole idea behind reports like Women, Business, and the Law is to try to incentivize countries towards certain outcomes. So, you know, in this case, to improve women's standing in the law when it comes to their economic empowerment. And in the past year, 23 countries made legal reforms, changing almost 40 laws to move towards gender equality. And what's even better you know, the World Bank is all about boosting shared prosperity, looking at the, you know, whoever's kind of on the lower end of things. And in this case, the lowest scoring region, which is the Middle East and North Africa, improved the most with 10 positive data changes, more than any other region. Okay, so that's kind of the regional look. Did, did any specific countries really stand out in the mix? Actually, yes. Gabon made some really comprehensive civil code reforms over a bunch of different areas. So before... Women couldn't be the head of a household. They had to get permission from their husbands to get a job. They were not legally protected from domestic violence. They didn't have the same rights as men to open bank accounts or to access financial services. And married women were required by law to obey their husbands. Mm. And all of that has changed. And now Gavon's score has gone from 57.5 in 2020 to 82.5 in 2021. I mean that that's a huge improvement. Um, I didn't even know there were laws that that made it, you know, legally required for women to obey their husbands. Um, but but the the progress is certainly uh, you know reason to cheer. Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, I was really surprised by that too. But according to the report, 17 countries still have laws like that uh, on their books requiring women to obey their husbands. So uh, progress, but still a long way to go. Well, in a few minutes, we'll talk to Taya Trumbich, the program manager for the Women, Business, and the Law Report. But first, I want to go to my colleague, David Lott, who's been looking into one country that has made significant progress towards gender equality. Thank you, Paul. Gabon, situated along the Atlantic coast in Central Africa, has made significant progress towards gender equality in recent years. Of course, there are still plenty of areas for improvement. To learn more about the progress that's been made in Gabon and what needs to be done next, I recently spoke to Mrs. Pepesi Uliguende, a leading women's rights activist and leader of the Malachi NGO in Gabon. I started by asking her if reforms to laws have translated to real-life positive impact for women in Gabon. 
Yes, I want to say that really we have taken a giant step. It's almost 40 years in advance in terms of women's rights. And so there are practical ways in which you can see how the advances have created an impact on the daily life of women, whether in terms of family rights, but also in terms of economic rights. So I'd be interested to know a bit more about the areas you've seen the most significant progress. We were just speaking about family rights. We think that for a woman to be able to move freely in the public sphere, it is necessary that she, in the private sphere, can effectively have equality in terms of rights. So at the family level, we see that women today have been able to achieve a level of empowerment because they can seize all the opportunities that may come their way, whether in the economic sphere, in the political sphere, or in the social sphere. We have seen that more and more women are experiencing financial inclusion. There is a little more access to financing. There is this desire among these women to be banked and to be able to have better financing possibilities to increase their income-generating activities and even get out of the informal sector. We, as the NGOs working on these issues, we have seen that there are more women coming to the NGO and benefiting from our empowerment programs. It is these women who are then undertaking the work on the ground. If we look at the 2022 Women, Business and the Law report, one area that could still be improved is that of laws affecting women wages. In your opinion, why do you think Gabon is still lagging behind on this subject? And what should be put in place to address this? We are in the process, which will be vast. We have already taken a big step that allowed us these gains in terms of family rights and economic opportunities. For instance, In the civil service, there are no disparities for equal skills. Women and men have the same salaries. When it comes to the private sector, there are certainly some disparities. You cannot imagine how difficult it was to pass these rights concerning the family, in particular to remove a provision which gave much more predominance to men, particularly the removal of the provision in the legal text that said that the man was the head of the family. That was really hard work. Really, a lot of lobbying, advocacy, awareness, and explanation that had to be done. Now let's dig further into the 2022 edition of Women, Business and the Law. Joining us now is Taya Trumbich, the program manager for the report. So Taya, thanks so much and welcome back to the Development Podcast. We spoke last year about how women had on average just three quarters of the economic rights of men. Uh, just looking at the, the latest update, it doesn't look like much has changed. Thank you, Paul. Well, it is shocking to me that in 2022, we are still seeing so many discriminatory laws that hold women back from working and starting businesses. Our latest report finds that women still have only three quarters of the legal rights as men, as you mentioned, as we did last year. Now, this is really a wasted opportunity, not only for women, but also for the growth of their economies and societies. This year, we find that 12 countries in the world have a score of 100 out of 100, meaning that women and men are equal legal standing. But that means that 178 countries, the remaining sample, in these countries, women face legal gaps, impacting their opportunities for 2.4 billion women. 
Now, we did see 23 countries doing something about this. There were reforms across the world, and we saw most reforms happening exactly where they're most needed, in the Middle East, North Africa, and Sub-Saharan Africa region. And we're also seeing reforms happening in the areas of the law that needed the most, and that's pay and parenthood. But we've seen that you know, with COVID-19 pandemic, the need for reform is even more urgent. We're seeing that women are dropping out of the workforce faster than men. The gender pay gap has also widened and women are resigning for position, from their positions to care for children. This is why it's even more important to reform these laws now so that women aren't left behind as we recover from the pandemic. Two, two quick follow-ups on that. The, the figure 12 countries where there's uh, legal uh, equality between men and women, um, I presume that there's a difference between kind of legal equality and, and equality in practice, what women in, in many of these countries actually experience. Is that, is that the case? Yes, that's true. You know, we believe that the law is the foundational first step for gender equality, but there is a lot more that needs to be done for it to be seen in practice. Um, and this year, the report is actually introducing some new measures on how to, how to look at implementation of laws so that we're not only tracking laws on equal pay, for example, but we're actually seeing whether women are receiving equal pay in real life. And, and that figure 12, has that changed much in recent years? Well, we have seen a steady increase every year. Um, last year we had 10, the year before we had eight. So every year we have a couple of new countries joining, joining those ranks. This year it's Spain and Greece, which have joined the group with 100 by introducing laws on parental leave and paternity leave. Rocket. So one thing that's one thing that's exciting about this report is that this year you've conducted new research about childcare, right? Uh, can you just share why is that such an important indicator? Well, it's always been important, uh, but I think the pandemic has heightened the importance of childcare as not only something that affects women, but that affects both men and women, um, especially as our home and work lives have merged. You know, and this year what we're looking at is really policies that target not just availability of childcare, but also affordability and quality of childcare. And this is important not only so women can join and stay in the workforce, but there are also benefits to children's development. And together, this can boost economic growth. It can provide more jobs as, as people um, join childcare service providers as employees, but also diversify the workforce and offer substantial employment opportunities. Can you explain that that childcare indicator? What exactly are you looking at when it comes to like what is the laws that you're that you, that you're looking for? What are the laws that you're looking for? Yeah, so far we've done some background research and we've collected data in 95 countries as a pilot, and we're looking at the laws that mandate the provision of childcare and whether that's, that's um, mandating the public or the private sector to provide childcare, but we're also looking at whether there are any financial incentives for both childcare providers, parents, or companies to uptake these services. And finally, we're looking at the quality of these childcare services, whether there are, in, there are incentives for um, provision of high quality services, which would of course impact parents' decision to put their children in, the, in these childcare centers. So how are you seeing the provision of childcare varying from country to country in your research? Well, we see a large variation in the laws that mandate childcare provision, both variation but also a lack of laws overall. Uh, we don't see enough adequate laws that govern quality childcare around the world. Now, public provision of childcare, for example, is most, mostly seen in advanced economies in Europe and Central Asia regions. But when we looked at the Middle East and South Asia, it was not the case. Here, we saw the law regulating childcare to be provided by the private sector or employers only. So to give you an example, uh, in Bangladesh, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka, 
If you're a company that employs a certain number of women employees, you're obligated by law to provide childcare, either directly on their premises or nearby with financial assistance. Now, the IFC has been promoting successful models of employer-provided childcare through its Tackling Childcare project for several years, and they make the case for investing in childcare to boost productivity and profits, not just as the right thing to do. But besides looking at availability provided by the public or the private sector, we've also been looking at affordability. And in the majority of countries, even when the, when the childcare is provided by the public sector, it's not free, so parents have to pay a fee for their children to attend these services. And it's very important when designing these policies that governments also look at some financial support or preferential tax treatment for parents or providers so that childcare services and, uh, are sort of thought together with this um, and would incentivize more, more people to take them up. I'm just wondering, uh, for these countries where the private sector is mandated to provide childcare, uh, is there any way to ensure quality? You know, I, I would imagine it would vary across countries I and mean, companies. Yeah, quality really matters too. And here we really found a lack of policies and also large variations. So we looked at um, whether there are teacher to child ratios or maximum group sizes. And these are often provided for private childcare centers, but not for public ones, especially in advanced economies in Africa. We also looked at whether there are any training requirements for teachers. Now some requirements and continuous trainings exist, but again, mostly on private sector providers. We didn't find any international standards to follow here, so what we're doing now is just mapping out what exists in these 95 countries before we can actually say what are the good or, or better practices. Um, and when we, when we looked at private providers of childcare, what we found is that there's a lot of requirements for them to obtain licenses or some form of authorization to operate. But this is, uh, and this is the case for public providers as well. So by setting minimum standards of quality, governments can ensure that providers offer high quality care. But there needs to be a balance because if these uh, requirements are too burdensome, then it might actually disincentivize childcare providers from operating. So we need to find the right balance there between quality that is not burdensome, but ensures that children are safe. On, on that, I, I'm curious, and, and I realize we're slightly off script here, but what are some of the obstacles to childcare? So some of the countries that maybe don't have that as a provision within the law, is it cost? Is it just lack of realization that this is important? What, why wouldn't a country necessarily have some of this, these provisions on, on the books? I think generally in, in many countries, you know, there's a, a culture and society that plays a role here. And this is not seen as something that the public should be providing. It's seen as something that either the families provide themselves through ch uh, caretakers that are family members or, or women often themselves staying home and taking care of children. But often in, in countries, you know, that where large cities where it's expensive, it can be expensive to be a childcare provider. You know, rent is expensive and then hiring a high quality labor force that's educated can also be a disincentive. And this is why we're sort of looking at it together with both availability. So when we look at that, it's not just whether it's mandated by law, but you know, are there any incentives for it to be close to where, where women are working or where people are working? Often um, there could be childcare centers, but they're the outskirts of the city and that's not convenient. So it's important to look at these childcare centers um, and make sure that they are accessible as well as high quality and affordable. And in all the all the research you've done, have you have you found anything that would be like the model childcare, the model of childcare provision? You know, or are there certain targets, um, like care to child ratios, things like that, that you're looking at that's ideal? 
Well, this is a very good question. And unfortunately, we don't know enough yet. And from what we have seen, this will depend a lot on the country context. So we cannot say that there is a one model that fits all. It will depend on where that country is in terms of its labor force participation of women, um, as well as where, where women workers are concentrated. We need more evidence on really what constitutes good quality and what aspects of quality, quality might be important for parental uptake of services. What we're doing is starting to ask the question and map what laws are doing, but in addition to this, we'll have to look at practice as well and look at some countries that have had good outcomes. What we and do it, know is that parents it, care about the quality of childcare and, and they care about how expensive it is as well. Those two are really important factors for them to take this up as an op option. So Taya, your report looks at a whole lot more than just childcare, and it, it takes this sort of comprehensive approach. Um, one of the things that stood out to me is it shows that Sub-Saharan Africa has made real progress this past year uh, across a, a number of indicators. How would you characterize the, the regional scorecard for Sub-Saharan Africa? Yeah, that's a very good observation. Uh, women in Africa have less than three quarters of the legal rights of men. So the regional average score is 71.5. It's lower than the global average. But there's a great variation across the continent. We have countries like Mauritius and South Africa that score among the top 50 countries globally. But we also have countries like Sudan that score only 29.5, meaning that women in Sudan have less than one third of the legal rights of men. Economies in, in Africa region perform very well in the areas of mobility, workplace, and pension. This means that laws related to freedom of movement and security, um, as well as laws in, that guarantee women's non-discrimination in the workplace, are more favorable. This can help women enter into the workforce. Now, laws related to women's pension are also fairly equal in Africa, and that means that women can retire at the same age as men. And this is important because women tend to live longer than men and when they work for shorter amounts of time and with lower pay, they can end up with less money in old age. But the most, challenge, most challenging area, which is we find globally as well and is the same for Africa, is, is related to parenthood. And here the regional average for Africa is just 45 out of 100. No country in Africa grants parental leave, for example, to be shared by both parents. And while many countries are starting to introduce paternity leave, it's still very, the, the amount of leave is very limited. Now, Africa's women deserve equality and the chance to contribute fully to their economies and opening opportunities for women in Africa to work in high paying jobs and start businesses could open new opportunities for the entire continent. But to end this on a positive note, there has been great progress, as you mentioned, in the Africa region. Despite being one of the regions the furthest behind in the index, Sub-Saharan Africa recorded one of the largest improvements. And I hope that this reform momentum really spreads across the continent. Um, there have been, as I mentioned, 23 economies that have prioritized gender equality globally, and five of them are in Africa. We saw some countries that implemented really large-scale reforms, like Gabon, that introduced comprehensive reforms to its civil code and enacted a law on the elimination of violence against women. And thanks to this reform effort, Gabon's average score has increased from 57.5 to 82.5 on the WBL index. But besides Gabon, there were four other countries that we saw reform. This is Angola, Benin, Burundi, and Sierra Leone. And these countries implemented a range of reforms that improved women's opportunities to work and start businesses. For example, Angola criminalized sexual harassment in the workplace. Benin removed job restrictions for women. So now women in Benin can work in any job, including in construction. And Burundi introduced laws mandating equal compensation for work of equal value. And finally, Sierra Leone now prohibits discrimination in access to financial services. 
but there are almost 500 laws across the African continent that could still be improved towards gender equality. So we are encouraged to see that countries are reforming these laws, but I hope that other countries in the region can look to their neighbors and introduce more comprehensive reforms like the ones that we saw in Gabon um, to their labor codes, but also to the family codes to empower women both in the workplace and at home. So it's really great to hear about all of these reforms that are happening, but I want to wrap this up with a million dollar question or actually the $172 trillion question, which is that's the expected gap in lifetime earnings between men and women, right? Um, the title of this podcast is Will Working Women Ever Have Equal Opportunities? Are you willing to make a forecast? Well, yes, I am optimistic, and I believe that women will eventually have equal opportunities. I only hope that we can get there faster than we have so far. But for that, you know, we need political will, we need strong demand from citizens and the, and the private sector, we need reliable data and evidence, and we need to change social norms and attitudes. The Women, Business, and the Law Report can be an important tool for governments looking to prioritize gender equality in their policy making but also for anyone else that wants to use this data to advocate for more gender equality in their country. So I would encourage your listeners to visit our website, wbl.worldbank.org, download the report, read this evidence, and look up which laws in your country are holding women back. And I hope that next year we have more stories of progress like we have in Gabon this year. Taya Trombich, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about the Women, Business, and the Law Report. Thank you, Paul. You know, I really hope that policymakers can do something about this and that next year we have more stories of progress. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here. Taya Trumbich is the program manager for Women, Business and the Law. She joined us down the line from her home in Washington, D.C. That's it for this edition of the Development Podcast. As always, we welcome your mail. Drop us a line using the development podcast at worldbank.org. And a quick reminder, the World Bank Group IMF Spring Meetings are just around the corner. So please join us for a week of live events covering the biggest priorities in international development. You can find the full details in the coming days at live.worldbank.org.